Welcome to Bunch. I'm Claire Sutcliffe and I've been building and leading communities for over 15 years. I'm fascinated by the concept of community-led growth, so I'm on a journey to meet the innovators who are building communities to grow their business. This episode of Bunch is sponsored by Cause.io, a community reward and motivation tool to boost your company's growth. More information in the show notes. Hello and welcome to Bunch. Today on the podcast, we have Max Pete, who is community manager at Super High and amongst other things, community lead at Creative Mornings San Diego. So welcome, Max. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for joining us. So let's dive straight in. We'd love to hear about Super High. Tell us what does that company do? Where is it? Who uses it? Yeah, so Super High is an online creative education platform specializing in design, code, and project management courses. It's fully remote. The founder, Rick, started the company in the UK, but now lives in New York and the team was dispersed all over the world. So I was in San Diego, but I had teammates in Sweden, UK, Portugal, New York. So we're all over the place. And basically, Super High is for anyone who's looking to develop their coding experience, knowledge, learning to develop their design knowledge, or want to take a course on project management as well. Nice. And so can you tell me a bit about how the community helps Super High do that? If it's a remote school, how does the community help people learn better? Yeah, so the community plays a huge part into that because uh, all the courses are self-paced. So you can take them as you wish. You could do the whole thing within a day or you can take eight weeks or a month or two months. The amount of time is up to you. I think the community helps a lot for the accountability and for helping students who run into roadblocks in certain parts of the courses that they might be in. So we have different channels for the different courses that members could ask questions for support. There's accountability channels for people that get together and co-work once a week or however they see fit. And it's just a place for people to learn together. And do you see lots of activity and conversation happening on those channels? Yeah, it's pretty active every day, to be honest with you. We did go through a huge community migration from Slack to Discord this past month. So that has been a big transition, but there's still been activity throughout all that as well. And so when you're thinking about the success of the super high community, how do you measure that? So we measure it a lot by retention. So our members sticking around and staying around in super high, you can sign up for an individual course or you can sign up for membership. So you can pay a flat fee per year and access all the courses. So retention of keeping that membership for one year, two years, three years. And I think the community success is measured in, okay, are these members who signing up who join the community? Because you don't have to, you get that invite to join, but it's not like a forced participation that you have to be in there. But the members that do join and want to like be active and participate, are there, are they renewing their memberships or are they churning a lot and like, what's the reason why? Is it just financial? Are they not getting the value of community or or getting the support that they need? And so that's really the big focus of measuring success there. Okay. And how do you find out why people might be leaving? How do you get feedback from your community? We do a survey at the end of their renewal if they decide to cancel. Again, it's an optional survey. You don't have to complete this to cancel. But it's for us to get a better idea why members are canceling. So is it just a cost perspective? And they'll let us know. Is it something that they just didn't access the community enough or have enough time? And um, what those reasons might be. But it's just an optional survey at the end that we just like to collect from 
the members who are deciding not to renew their membership. Okay, amazing. I guess you have uh, community members answering each other's questions and supporting each other as well. It's it's not just from you and the rest of the super high team. How do you reward those members for their kind of effort in supporting their their fellow learner? So when I joined the team in 2021, I built a surprise and delights program. So to reward members who are very active in the community, who are helping support one another, and to just send them a token of our appreciation. So we had we had a pretty nice budget for this. We had around like a thousand US dollars per month to spend on this program. And I was able to see fit how we I wanted to reward our members. So if that was like someone who just landed a new job, you know, maybe we ordered them dessert to get delivered to their house or or got them a cake or we had this one member who was like really helpful and and setting up like accountability sessions and answering people's answering other members posts and i just messaged him to just get a little intel be like okay like what are your like favorite things outside of community like what are you really into found out they're they're an avid tea collector so just went to a couple of tea sites and like bought some stuff and shipped them to their house. So it's just like little things like that. And they keep track of all that as well. I think that's really cool. Like I built this notion database of all the members that we've given surprise and delights for like what that reward was and took a screenshot of their message back to me about like, Oh, like if they were like super excited or surprised or thankful, and then was able to share that with um, our team so that they could see that too. And like, kind of, we can all celebrate together. That's awesome. How do you find more people like that person that you've just described? Because they sound invaluable. Yeah. Honestly, the community has been really helpful. Like there hasn't had been a lot of like forced, like, Hey, everyone, we should participate. And like, this is how you do it. It's just people just want to help out one another, especially in like the learning environment. So it's just mostly taking time to comb through the posts, to see who's like responding to make notes of like who is responding a lot or active or being really helpful. And then to remember that person, I think that was like the initial stages when I built the surprise and delights program was to like comb through the community through the past months and past previous year to get more intel of like, okay, who's been like really active and participating and how can we reward them for continuing to, to do that in the community? Okay. Thank you. So Bunch is all about the art and science of community building. The art of community building, I think of that as being about creativity and intuition. So how do you use those in your community strategy? Yeah, this is a great question. I would say we use just a lot of seeing what our current members are up to and what their current needs are, and then using that to spark ideas to like build programs, to build resources around that. Uh, one example that comes to mind is we have a very active career advice channel. A lot of freelancers who are asking questions about how to set up pricing for themselves. Like, what's the best pricing model? How do we do this? And so I was connecting with my team one day and we all were brainstorming. And we were like, oh, we should build this salary transparency survey for our members so that any member who wants to participate can fill out a survey and they can put how long they've been freelancing, like what their title is, what their hourly or project rate is. And then we can share that data because it's all anonymous with our members so that they can use that to compare their own rates if they're kind of within that ballpark and hopefully use that as an inspiration to charge more for what they're doing um, or just to see like what the current market rate is. And all that like creativity or 
inspiration behind that. I'll just went to like seeing what the community was already talking about and like what their kind of problem areas were in the, in the common conversations and just using that as a spark for inspiration for building more useful resources, I think, for them. That's cool. Thank you. And I guess the other, the other side of the art coin is science. So thinking about science, how do you use data to make decisions about how your community might grow or help its members next? Yeah. So when we were building at a lot of the new programs at Superhigh, we used uh, Common Room as our data analytics tool. And in that, we could see uh, very common topics that were coming up. We could see members who were super active and participating in like, what they were talking about and, and what channels they were participating in more. And so we used that for ideas to build ambassadors and like who we would reach out to for like our ambassadorship. Um, we used our data a lot for, at least for myself, for helping with setting up user research to see like, okay, who is our most active users in, in these categories and who are people that aren't as active who are people that used to be active but aren't active anymore and to kind of create separate buckets of people, members that I could reach out to, to for participation of these user research programs that we were building. So we use a lot of data for that. And we use a lot of data for the events of programming that we threw for our members. So like our members signing up and, and are they attending the events and how long are they attending the events for? And are they filling out the survey afterwards for feedback or you know, we can get more data on, on how they're enjoying those programs. So we used it a lot to just after we initially launched something to like solidify, like, okay, is this the right thing? Is this the right tool that our members like? And should we continue this? And then we also used it to build better programs. Like I mentioned with the salary transparency survey, that was a common topic that was showed up and we used that data to use that as the spark and inspiration of it. Nice. Did you find ways of gathering that data and information about how people are doing before they might leave? Or like, is there a regular way that you get feedback from your community? Yeah, so we did two surveys a year, I would say one and a halfway point of the year and the other at the end of the year. Um, and we use that to more so for us to build programming to see how they're liking their experience to see if there's anything that they're noticing that we just can't see because we have this community lens and we're just not through that member experience lens. Um, we didn't really, to be honest with you, collect a lot of data beforehand on if members were about to churn or not, or if they were going to keep their membership. But I think this conversation is, it's, sparking some ideas of, of ways to doing that. And there's art. Like, I think when we set up a lot of our surveys, we did it in a way like, okay, we're going to use Typeform. This is how we're going to do it. But there's so many cool community tools now that are coming out that like, there's other ways to like automate this and, and set this up and attach it to the member profile. So we don't have to necessarily go on a Typeform and then find them in another profile and like think up those answers together. I think there's going to be an easier process to do this. Yeah. I'm always interested in like, what are the things that happen before somebody leaves, like before there's a churn risk, particularly when the community is built essentially to retain its customers? What do they do or more importantly, not do just before they're about to leave that could be an indication that they're about to make a decision to leave the service or the product that you're using? And I would say like, unfortunately, like this past year, most of the churn and the reason why people left were just due to layoffs, budget cuts, you know, so their companies aren't paying for their learning reimbursements anymore, or people just got laid off for a role, or that they've kind of gone through the courses that they've already wanted to go through. And they're just looking to, to move on, which is totally fine. Like, I, I feel like 
those three reasons are, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we can't necessarily change with that. We did do some su- surprise and delights for the members that were experiencing a layoff that, okay, let's just give them a year membership for free. Like they've been a member, they bought a course, they're very active in the community, like let's just give them a membership. So I think utilizing some of that and then they were super happy and then thrilled that they could continue to participate. That's nice. I'm interested in the change in platform because this seems to come up more often than I had imagined that people switch the online space in which they host their community. I'm interested to know what were the kind of driving forces behind that? Yeah, I think it was a few things. I think number one thing was that we were on a paid Slack plan and it was just getting too expensive. It's interesting because on Slack, like the more you grow, it's just the more expensive it's going to be. And so there's no real incentive to scale there because you just have to pay more money. Um, and so I think that was just a big thing. It's like Slack, there was just a huge cost. And Discord is essentially free. Like you do, you can pay for some server boosters and custom things like that, but it's like a fraction of the cost that Slack was. So I think cost-wise, number one. I think number two was there was a lack of moderation tools available on Slack because Slack has made it known time and time again, like they're not built for a community. Like they don't, they're not going to build their tools for a community. They're not going to update things for a community. Like they're more focused on the workplace, which my personal opinion, I think that they're really like missing a big bucket of not being able to like go in on community, but because there's so many communities that are built on Slack that they could just build tools to help them. But I don't work there. So I think that was a big one in Discord. There's a lot of moderation tools that are available. There's stuff that you can build. There's special channel privileges that you can give certain members. So you don't have to like give them the whole access to your workspace on Slack. There's a few things like that. And yeah, it was just, a, I guess, a more custom way to build a community, but to still have it like focused on a chat platform versus moving it solely over to a forum. Got you. How do you integrate the learning experience on Super High with the community experience? Are they connected in any way? So yes and no. So the learning experience in Super High is mostly done through the Super High platform. So you'll sign up for an account. You can access all your courses there. You can access like all the videos, things like that. And then to get support, you actually have to like go to the community to ask for it. So there's our inter- there's integrations in the platform itself that like connect to the community, but it's not necessarily like embedded. It's just like, okay, here's a link for our Discord. If you have questions, like here's a channel to join and then people can join that way. And then everything's kind of kept in our Discord. We also utilized Help Scout for support. So if members didn't want to post in the community and they just want the message like the customer support team, they could do that by just emailing directly. Nice. I want to ask you about other brand communities. So moving away from super high, what other brand communities do you think are really interesting? Are there any that you're a part of that you think are particularly cool? Well, I really love Notion's community. And I know a lot of people mention Notion all the time as like the golden community. Um, I just use a lot of inspiration from them for creating ambassador programs to like I we built a community hub for our super high community so a way to like house all the information and I used notions community hub as like a huge inspiration for that like how to gather the links how to organize it so it makes sense and it's not overwhelming for the members and so I would say like they're like a big inspiration I'm also a fan of Strava's community branded community like I, I use the Strava app to track my like workouts and walking and and all that stuff. And it's just 
it's really cool to see their community um, being built out. Figma is also a really big one. Oh, nice. What's going on in the Figma community that's, that makes it interesting? What I think it makes it interesting is, is that it's just very helpful. Like the members there are like always like helping answer questions or supporting one another. I feel like there's a lot of cool linking between Figma and like the community itself. So like they'll bring in the community for like new product releases and new ideas and brainstorms. And I think that that's really cool for branded like community to do. It's like, okay, how can we tie in our members to like help build our product with us to help give feedback that like, you know, we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So I, and I just love their platform. Like it's just so cool and creative and it's just something that I, I, I enjoy a lot. Nice. I think it's much easier to build a really good thriving community when you've got an incredible product. Oh, 100%. That people can be such fans of like like Figma, like Notion, honestly, like super high. I'm such a massive fan. It's easier to get true fans that will go out of their way to advocate for you and to and to help you build your business up. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, and I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but like if you don't have a great product, like no matter the amount of work you do in the community, like it's just not going to work. Like it's the product has to be there. It has to fit. It has to like excite people. Um, otherwise, like just trying to build a community around something that isn't there. It's, it's just not, it's not going to move the needle the way you want it to. Like I, there's a lot of communities that are like, Hey, we want to build something just like notion and we want to do it just like this. And I'm like, you can try, but it's just, it's not as exciting. I don't think it's going to create that momentum. Like notion really had the product to drive everything. And they, they built a community around that to like help leverage that excitement. But if you don't have that initial excitement, it's not going to be there. Yeah, I think the only exception to this rule is when the community is focused around a mission that the product helps achieve rather than like just the product itself. Notion is an interesting one. Its product is about productivity, a little meta, but it's difficult to get people excited about a mission around productivity, but people are very excited to use the tool and the tool is excellent. And you could see a world in which like if a community is based around healthcare, then the mission might be we're helping you and your community get healthy. And so maybe the product isn't as like innovative. It, maybe it doesn't need to be because actually the mission is about helping other people. Yeah, like nonprofits, I think, would excel well there, yeah. Yes, in particular, yeah. Max, what do you think the most important elements of a successful brand community are? Hmm, I would say tying in the community as much as you can to product development, to get them involved with getting their insights to build with them. I, I think that's one thing that SuperEye did really well is is uh, they incorporated user research into like literally everything that they built, all the courses, all the content. It was like, how can we talk to our members to see like what's going to be good for them and how can we get them involved in this process? So I think any brands that are looking to build community, looking to get those members involved through that process is super important because then they're going to feel like they're part of that, the ride. And then like they have actual stake in the game and then they're going to want you to succeed too, because they're like, okay, like I'm, I'm getting involved. I have these meetings. I I've been talking to the head of product or the, even the CEO. And like, now I feel like really like attached to this, this company, this brand. Yeah. I agree. And obviously you're sort of preaching to the converted here. But how important do you think it is for startups to build community around their product or service? I think it is important. Now, I don't think that every product needs a community or needs a community in the sense where it's going to be its own separate platform and they're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. Like I think that there's multiple ways that they can kind of like start and scale 
first, like to see like, okay, is this something that members want to be part of and how can we like grow with them? Um, there was a, there's a really good example. I'm sure you've heard this, uh, communities everywhere now, right? So it's not just a platform. You can't force people just to a platform. It's, it's on social, it's newsletter, it's platform, it's the website, it's all these things combined into one. And so there's an example of like Lululemon doing this really well where they have different objectives for members to participate in. Do they want to join like a run or a workout club? Do they want to see a newsletter that highlights certain members of the community? Do they want to? And so I think like creating different avenues when you're starting to think of a community and not just be like, okay, we need to build this platform. Like, no, like maybe let's feature member stories as a community initiative. Maybe let's just create like a once a month office hours product review for members who want to join and see how that does. And then we can kind of like scale to bigger things. And so I think that's probably more important in my recommendation to any startups or brands wanting to start communities. Like, okay, how can we start small and then scale that up versus being like, we need to buy the most expensive platform. We need to do all this research um, because sometimes it's not worth it. And you want to test the waters before you invest a ton of money into this because you want to make sure you're doing it right. Yeah, that really speaks to my heart. The number of times I hear, let's just start a Slack channel. And I'm like, oh God, (laughs) what are we doing there? Yes, so talking to people first and then starting small are my two top tips as well. But thinking about tips, um, if you could give people starting brand communities one tip and one watch out, what would they be? So I'll start with what not to do. And I think is, yeah, just doing too many things at once. like focus on one thing and get that done. I think it's the same with overly designed communities, especially for new members. You want to like build the community with the members involved. And so if everything's designed to your liking, but not necessarily to their liking, or you don't know how they'll interact, that can go poorly. So you want to leave some room to grow with that. So I would say that's, that's uh, a don't is to like, if you do launch a community, don't over design it in the initial stages. And to do is to individually, I mean, this isn't scalable and this does take a lot of time, but I think it's really worth it in community building is to do one-on-one messages with your users, your members, like get, get on the call with them, find their pain points, find their struggles, get on as many calls as you can. I think that's going to give you a lot of data and a lot of aha moments and a lot of inspiration to build a community around that versus just like, oh, I know what they want. I'm going to build this and then have them not enjoy it because it wasn't with their ideas in mind. So yeah, I know it's not, it's not scalable. It takes a lot of time. There's a lot of like back and forth of scheduling and it's, you know, a time commitment, but I think it's really worth it if you're invested in communities to just get on the call with, with your with your customers and your members and to get more insight from them. Yeah, totally. I agree. It's such a valuable use of time. You will never regret it. Yeah, you'll learn a lot more from those calls than anything else. And you'll build relationships too, which is I think is like the best part of community. So yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, one of the main points of brand communities is building deeper and more emotional like connections with the people who are our customers or sellers or suppliers. So being able to get that time with them is completely valuable. Thank you so much, Max. That has been totally enlightening. Thank you for joining us all the way from San Diego this morning. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. That was awesome. So don't forget to subscribe to Bunch Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, give us a nice juicy rating so more people can find us. And if you haven't already, then subscribe to Bunch wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.